Well, good evening. I'm Rick Dancer, and welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer. Um, we're really glad to have you. I'm sorry I'm just a little bit late, but our guest tonight is Al Peterson, and he and I were already laughing and talking about some of the things that um, we've been on here for like 20 minutes talking, so we've been uh, catching up and doing some stuff, and you guys are going to get to hear from him in just a second. And uh, yeah, I know, um, Psycho Foo, you're excited to see Al. He'll, he'll be up here in just a second. You're already out there waiting. I don't know how YouTube does it. That's kind of the mystery for me. Um, our show tonight is sponsored by uh, Chris Daniel, Dr. Michael Bratlin. Uh, if you're looking for a dentist, looking for somebody who will take care of you, he's a great client of ours, uh, sponsors lots of shows. Um, as I always say with all my clients, they don't always agree with everything we talk about, but they do agree that we should be talking. And uh, and so he, a couple months ago, came to me and said, Rick, you should start doing, uh, we should do some series on, you know, former news. I was going to say old, but Al's here now and he can hear me. Um, old former news people and have them come on and talk about what they're doing now in kind of the old days. So we had John Fisher a couple months ago. Last month we had Shelly Kurtz. And uh, so tonight there's Al Peterson. Hey, Al, you're on. Hey there, guys. Um, there he is. How you doing? I'm doing well. Life's good. I cannot complain. I've so, got my Cali down here. You guys, he's Al. If you if you guys don't know, well, you know, Al's like an animal freak. Yeah. Um, he did. He he would always bring new. Try to bring new animal idea shows to the KZI crew. I remember that. And one of the most frustrating things for Al and me, we're just going to kick right into this yeah. about working at KZI in the day is we'd come up with these great ideas. And you'd go into the office and you'd talk about them. And then some salesperson would walk in and the whole idea would change and it would go away. And I've never so many times out looking at you and just us going, oh, my God, if they would just try something different, you know. Exactly. Exactly. We had a it, the chambers were awesome. And I have to say, Carolyn in particular, Carolyn, I think Carolyn just liked running a new. She didn't she didn't get in there and bother us. She never once came and looked at a script. But she enjoyed us having fun. And then Scott came in and Scott was a little more uptight. Um, but the real problem was who your bosses were and, and how much creativity would they allow? There were some people who were really afraid of fun. Yeah. They really were. And so we scared the crap out of them. <laughs> we did because it'd be kind of like, we're having fun, we're having fun. And they're sitting there, they're going, there's something wrong here. They're, they're laughing too much because you remember how news used to be. It's like, this is the news, and that's how it was, and all that stuff. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and and but but we did it anyway. <laughs> no, no, yeah, well, yeah, and uh, well, ways to do stuff. Yeah, and and one of the things I think I always appreciated about you is that you and I were both kind of these um, um, antagonistic people. That it was like if you. I will never forget, and I hope you don't mind me bringing this up. But when you got fired at KEZI. And so Al goes into the office. Nobody knows this is going on. And Rick Jacobs says to him, you know, whatever. It was, Rick didn't fire me. It was that those two bald fellas, that one tubby guy down in Met, well, two tubby guys. Oh, it was Mark, Mark from Sean and Mark. Sean and Mark. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so Al is in the office and it's in our newsroom and Al walks out. <laughs> I'll never forget this. And you said, Okay, um, they just fired me, but I'm not supposed to tell you, but I want you guys all to, all to know I just got fired. And, of course, we're in shock, but I'm like also because I'm feeling like, what the hell? But then it's also like, Al, you got the biggest balls I've ever met on well, anybody. Tell you, can I tell you a quick story there? So, so I was a meteorologist. I was doing weather at that time, and I have rental houses all over. And I had a house in West Fur with a hole in the roof. Um, in other words, I'd done all the woodwork. 
but no tar paper and no roofing yet. And it was going to rain. And I knew it was going to rain up there at 3.30. And this was um, 12.30. They pulled me into the office. And I said to somebody, I think I'm getting fired. And they go, what? I go, no, I can kind of tell because, Al, can you come in here for a moment? And so anyway, so they're talking to me. And first of all, the funny thing was, is I do remember them. They both had these, these, I just, I can't focus on much. So I was just kind of like nodding my head. And they, they, these guys had these shiny brown suits and they're both bald and little. And I just kept going, God, those are awful suits. Those are awful suits. <laughs> and, and honestly, and I wasn't even worried about it. I knew what was going on. And then at a certain point, while we're going in a different direction, I stood up and I said, hey, guys, I'm sorry, but I've got a hole in my roof. I have to go patch it. And it's going to rain at 3.30. So you guys are doing great. I've had to fire people and I hate it. And I think you guys are doing wonderful. I've got to go. So can you just roll my stuff outside or do you want me to come back? The guy from Medford, oh, he was mad. I didn't think, I thought they'd be happy that, okay, you've made it easy on us. The guy from Medford was mad. He wanted a pound of flesh. And then the other guy, the new guy, um, Sean, he was just, I think he was relieved because this was at the end of a whole bunch of firings. Um, but the crazy thing was, because I didn't really need the job anymore. And and so it's funny. If a girl breaks up with me and breaks my heart, oh, God, I'm devastated for decades. If you fire me from a job, I don't know why. It doesn't bother me in the least. And so anyway, I just, but then I got up, but I got on the roof. I nailed it down. I did not have time to think about it. All of a sudden, it started raining at 3.30. And I go, oh, I got that done. All of a sudden, I said, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I just got fired. <laughs> But I will tell you this, you know, I worked my ass off on the real estate for so long that uh, by that time, I didn't really need the job. And I said to myself, as I'm sitting up there and the rain's beginning to fall, I said to myself, you know, if you lost every penny tomorrow, it would be worth it just for the joy of being able to stop somebody mid-sentence and saying, guys, i got to go. <laughs> I have to leave. I just, and so I'm sure what I did was, guys, you got fired? I, I got to run. I forgot that part about it, but. No, it was it was wonderful. And, and the interesting thing is um, I stayed very close with the family. The family and I got along fine. You know, I, I really liked them a lot. And in fact, they invited me back to their 50th anniversary party. So I got I got invited. Remember the big 50th? That yeah. yeah. On stage? That's the first time I saw John Fisher and I didn't know who he was. I went up to Tracy Berry and I said, who's the hobo? <laughs> I know he has that beard. beard and he was bald and I just I was just looking at him and then I walked up to him and John goes hey Rick and I go oh my god John you and I just it just came out I go you look terrible <laughs> and I didn't because he just looked like he goes thanks Rick and I went no I'm sorry but it was like a story that I remember um that won't embarrass John too much although there's a thousand John stories Okay, so we had a producer who just wasn't very good at it. She'd been doing it for decades and decades. And when you come in to do the weather, you don't go from blood and gut stories to the weather. You go, you, you, you have a, a threshold story where if it's really blood and guts, you give a couple of buffer stories before weather. But like three days in a row, they didn't do that. So John's sitting there waiting to come out to do weather. And... Six people died in a tragic house fire in uh, Cleveland. And then it was probably you would have had to come out and say, changing gears now, which is the sign that the producers really screwed up. But John, instead of John coming out for the third time, 
He did this. <laughs> the desk. I remember this. He ducked. He hid under the desk and said, I ain't coming out to that. I don't, I laughed so hard. I think you probably had to toss to a break or something, but he just said, no, uh, the producer isn't learning and I'm not going to come out. And you know, you know, you can't go from this low to this high in one, I mean, you know, you can't make a, 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 a Karen Carpenter note where you go from low to high. You, you, it's hard. So, 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 you, so tell them the Black and Gus story. Oh, that was crazy. Okay. You got, so. you got on every ABC funniest videos thing. I mean, that thing, you know, if you had royalties on that, Al, you'd be a very wealthier man. Well, you know what? The royalties did end, but they paid a lot for a long time. Not Dick Clark. Dick Clark Productions paid terrible, but there was an outfit called Brad Lockman Productions. And Brad Lockman did uh, Funniest Home Videos, you know, back when yeah. you couldn't just pull them off the internet and you had to get a hold of guys like us to send them tapes. Anyway, that was back in the rip and read days before we had computers, um, literally. And so they would send you, well, they'd send you something on the computer or they'd let you know what the rundown was. And then you would go through all this paper stuff, right? And find your story. So I needed a half minute story, 20 second story. And I was producing. So I ripped this thing off and it was like cows escape on the Jersey turnpike. And so I pulled this thing off the wire and I'm reading like, okay. video. You had video of it too. Yeah, we had video and we knew that but we had to wait. I can't see the video. So he can't see the video, but he knows there's video rolling and he's yeah. reading the script. John Fisher's sitting next to Al. He, oh, is, he, he is seeing the video. And so then go ahead, Al. And you say. And what happened was I pulled this thing off the wire and at the end of one line, it said the cows comma black, A-N, and then G-U-S at the bottom. And somehow I thought that the cows were named black and they'd simply forgot to put the D on the and. And so it's black and Gus. I typed it in. And it was hilarious because then John, John's sitting here, you know, just like, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but is it possible that those cows were black Angus? <laughs> I'm like, and you lost it. Oh, you just went like crazy. Well, so you know, the funny so, thing was, is, is John was such a perfect foil for that. You know, other yeah. people would have. Don't mention it. Don't mention it. But John was kind of like because he kind of looked and he went, "Perhaps it's Black Angus, Al." And you, and you just go, "Oh my God!" I remember one time Lisa Birch, and this is kind of a this is kind of a um, a sketchy, but this is YouTube, so or this is you can do it. But there was a new Surgeon General named Doctor Doctor Snatch Doctor Snatcher Satcher. Thatcher. And and Lisa was really good at making, she'd go, so Rick, don't go on the news and say Dr. Snatcher. And I go, Lisa, don't. Don't put that in my head. And she's going, no, don't say Rick, don't say. And so then we're sitting on the set, and it was those era where we were coming in and doing those side shots where you'd come in on the anchor, you know. Oh, that's right. And so they get on me, and Lisa, right before the camera comes, like, thinks she was Dr. Snatcher. And, I, and I'm like, I'm like, oh no! So I get on there and I go, Doctor Satcher, like this. And then there was another story about him. And Lisa, right. told me, she goes, and other news on Doctor Snatcher. <laughs> and it was like, oh my god, she did it. And then we had to go to a break because we were both losing it. Like we went, oh, 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 and they just go, we'll be right back after this. And we shut up. Oh my god! So I'll tell people what Lisa did to you with that Polaroid picture of a car. Okay, so I had. 
an old 1980 Datsun 210, and it was my car. What happened was I went to Seattle to sell a car because car, hard to sell cars in Seattle and, and Eugene. Sold it up there, stayed with my mom and dad. Came home. The bus company was on strike. It was too expensive to fly. I had a big toolbox. I didn't want to hitchhike with the toolbox, so I bought a $275 piece of crud car. But I drove this 1980 210. It was okay, so I fixed it up. But everybody was like, dude, you're, you're the guy on TV, and you're driving this. 15 year old cheapest car ever made and but i liked it lisa and i got along great one morning i wake up ring 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 phone right to my house no cell phones or anything no message oh i don't have a car for sale no click ring 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 hello no i don't have a car for sale um i no i don't care where it's posted there must be a mistake what Lisa had done, she and Norm Neuweiler, the photographer, yeah, took a Polaroid of my car, typed up this piece of paper that said, car for sale, runs great, great gas mileage, $75, call between the hours of 4.30 a.m. and 7 a.m. <laughs> if I don't pick up, call back. This is just ring, 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 <laughs> ring, ring, ring. No, no. And finally, and then, then I finally. Well, Al came into work and he's like, um, I got calls all night about my car being for sale. And you guys, Lisa was a trickster. I mean, she was a prankster and she was, I mean, ruthless, especially to Al, because they were such good friends. You guys were super close yeah. and she could get away with anything. Because I used to say to her, if you do that to me, my wife will kill you. <laughs> I mean, literally, because she would do stuff. Okay, so tell them about the the straw, and it was she had jaw surgery, and she had this ointment that deadened your lips. Yeah, and and so I what happened was I we were at KEZI, and I went to um, Home Depot to get some pressure treated wood to do some work with, right? And so I load up all this pressure treated wood into my truck, and then I go by the Taco Bell, which was um, on chad or someplace or yeah. nearby and i got a, a veggie burrito and i came back and i'm i'm eating you know i'm talking and all of a sudden my lips start going numb my whole face is going numb and i'm like oh my god my face. and lisa as you know was so good at really what's what, what's right she didn't give any hint no. as to what's going on and i'm like i i think that i must have gotten some of that pressure treated stuff on my fingers and my face is 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 my face is getting paralyzed. So I and called the poison. She, well, she was, I was sitting there and she's going, Al, you better call the poison yeah. control center. And Al's going, You think? And Al and Lisa's going, Yeah, because I think you poisoned yourself. Well, I was there when you went to the bathroom and came back, and Lisa had Al's straw, and she found this ointment, that numbing ointment, and she goes, Watch, and she puts it on his straw. So now I'm an accomplice. And Al is like, he calls the poison hotline and does the whole thing. And then it goes away. And like six months later, I don't remember if you remember this. Yeah. Six months later, we're sitting there and Lisa's doing it in her drawer and she pulls out the ointment. And she and Al has a cup of soda sitting there with a straw on it. Lisa goes, oh, remember when I did this? To Al? And she goes over, puts it on there. And I'm sitting here going, OK, God is testing me. You know, am I going to sit here? And Al takes it. He goes, Lisa, remember when I had that? 
poisoning? My, I had that thing again. And Lisa goes, you better call a poison hotline. And I went, okay, I can't do this. Al, this is what Lisa did. And then the whole story came out because she never did tell him that no, that's what no. had happened. I mean, it was, she was such a prankster. Well, but I got her back. Okay. So there was one night I'm producing the newscast and I had to go home. So I was going to watch the newscast from home. And I knew now Lisa was a pretty talented person. She did not have to reread her, pre-read her scripts. She was a cold reader. Oh, I remember this. Oh, yeah, this is so good. So you could put a script in front of her, and she was good enough, and the market was small enough that she was just going to read whatever you put in front of her. So I wrote her this script. <laughs> it came to the end of a block, and it was about uh, skydivers dressed as Elvis in Nashville, and like 300 of them jumped out of the airplane. And so Lisa's reading the script. She hasn't pre-read it. And she's saying, oh, there are 300 skydivers. It's the most skydivers ever dressed like Elvis. This was in Nashville celebrating Elvis's birthday. And then came the line that I wrote. <laughs> you remember Elvis, dumb line, but she's reading it. He was famous for songs like All Shook Up and Suspicious Minds. You remember Suspicious Minds. It goes like this. So all of a sudden, she has read all the way to the point where she goes, it goes like this. And suddenly she realizes, that fucker. And so she reads this thing. And she goes, it goes like this. Caught in You're it. caught in a trap. I can't walk out because I love you too much. Baby. Baby. <laughs> Straight broadcast. Broadcast. Um, I did another one. Um, she looked. I remember the, the outtake because then she goes like this. <laughs> like over at you and you loved catching lisa because she didn't make a lot of mistakes no so no when you get catch yeah. doing something it was right. so al i don't know if you know she used to do this to me i have to be careful with this because this is like a really nasty thing but you every know, night i do this remember that little camera in the old station that every night you go do the 11 o'clock teases oh, yeah you know? yeah right right so, right yeah. so for like six months we got that closed captioning and we didn't know what it was because it was brand new. And so Lisa used to joke, she'd try to get you screwed up. So she'd go on there and she'd write some nasty thing before my tease. She, right before I'd get up there, she'd hurry up and, and change it and edit it and up would pop this thing. And it was always something about my penis. And it was like, you know, hi, I'm Rick Stick in my pants dancer. I mean, it was like really, and, I mean, and I, I can't give you the worst ones, but it was like, I never read them, but you just go, God, I hope I can get up to this before Lisa gets there. So we're six months in and one night, the closed captioning comes up and I'm reading it. It says, I'm Rick with a honk and big, you know, I mean, on and all like this. And and I, I'm, of course, I'm not reading it, but all of a sudden I go, Lisa, that's on the closed captioning. She goes, no, it's not. I go, no, Lisa, I think it is. <laughs> And she goes, what, well, I, go, I, think that's, I think it's on the closed captioning. And Lisa goes, so she goes back to engineering. We re-roll this tape and we're going, oh, my God, it is. For six months, all these nasty phallic jokes about my, my penis are I've on. I've been going out there to the deaf community and no one's ever said anything. Lisa and I were just, we were so frozen that whole night. We're going, I hope nobody ever calls. But there's probably a whole cult of people out there going, hey, let's see what Rick Dancer calls it tonight, you know? Well, you see, here's I mean, the thing, is we had to, see, the, the mistake there was that it could come back to whoever wrote the script and they could figure it out. And like when Lisa did not admit the um, putting the stuff on, that was so that she could go into the news director's office if anybody caught her and she could just go, that's not true. Just, just you're gonna save your job. I did this once though to, to Carrie Stewart. You remember Carrie? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
so I produced the newscast. Same thing. Carrie did not pre-read scripts. She wasn't as good a reader as, as Lisa, but she's a decent reader. And so I wrote a headline that was supposed to say, Big Doings in Cottage Grove. It may have been mining days or whatever. Big Doings in Cottage Grove. But I took the eye out of doing. <laughs> so she comes up, Big Dongs in Cottage Grove. She's, what? What is this? Altitude. And I'm like, uh, oh, I left the eye out. It's supposed to be doings. Big dongs in <laughs> And okay, now we could have been fired for any of this, but here's the crazy thing. Uh, they couldn't fire us because somebody had to be doing this stuff. Right. I mean, it, if it wasn't, it would be like a, a parfait jello thing that nobody mixed right. You know, it would just be kind of bland and brown. And as you know, we worked with some people who had no sense of humor, none. Right. And who, frankly, put together boring stories, boring newscasts and whatever. I don't know about you. But there were times it'd be like, okay, I shouldn't say this. I shouldn't say this. I shouldn't say this. But this newscast is worse than bad. This newscast is entirely forgettable. Right. Um, and that's really the worst thing. Because when people, when they do the research and say, what do you think of Rick? What do you think of Al? The one thing you don't want to be is to be so forgettable. They don't know who you are. So right. we, so we just had the fun. And then the other cool thing was get all these really stiff people out of college because they didn't know how far they could go. Right. And I'd be doing morning shows. And what I would do is, okay, this is how far you're supposed to go. This is how far I go. But you co-anchors, or if I go that far and don't get in trouble, that means you guys can go this far. You can get a little. And then you taught people to have fun. You know? Well, don't you think, too, that, like, I, I always thought this with you and me, is you, you and I had enough age and wisdom, I mean, and I don't mean that like we're the smartest guys in the world, but we knew what we could get away with. Yes. Yes. And I, Al and I could push a little harder, even than Lisa, because yeah. Lisa, Lisa wanted to please. And, and that's not a bad thing. And Lisa was also moving on. Right. She was always afraid that this would end up in Boston or something. Yeah. Right. So you and I knew we how we could push these levels to that. And we made some news directors really unhappy. Oh, boy, did we. But, you know, I have to say, well, Rick, the reason you were able to is you had all the viewers. I mean, I had I had a my research all said Al, they either love you or they hate you, but they all know who you are, which is fine because if they right. know who you are, remember Howard Cosell, they either loved or hated him, but he was Howard Cosell and, and everybody knew him. You had just a ton of viewers. And the thing is there was a certain point where I realized whenever they let me go, there'd always be a outrage. There'd always be angry people. They didn't want to go through that. So we could do that. And the other thing was if you had that many viewers, they couldn't really throw the, uh, they, they, they really couldn't come after you very hard because how hard do you want to push the guy who has 40% of the viewers saying they're only watching for him, which was you. So we could get away with that stuff. Right. Get away with that stuff. And the problem was once we realized how much we could get away with, once we realized at a certain point, Scott liked us more than the people that was disciplining us. Yeah. We're disciplining us. It was kind of like you could just sit there and go, uh-huh. No. And what I what I learned quickly, admit you're wrong, say you're right, I shouldn't have done that, I won't do it again, because it took away all of their ammunition. And right. pretty soon they're like sputtering, going, but 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 and I'm like, Yeah, I again I, I admit it that I would get one time. But don't you think the key though, Al, was to push? I mean, you and I always push them past yeah. their 
Hacker Zone because it was like, you we know, and, and you and I went by the, uh, the I think the, the, the motto, uh, ask for forgiveness later, because I'm going to try this and see. And I think that's why our stories always did better in when, when we did um, right. you know, board things. It's because we wrote like we were not like they wanted us to. And we also said, you know what? This is the story. If you're at a story with four other reporters from the four other stations when Fox had one, let's just say three. You're one of the three reporters. And you know what these other two are going to do? Yeah. And you're tempted to do the exact same thing. But you're like, life is too short. And that is really boring. I think what I'm going to do is let them do the obvious. And then I'm going to go out and try to find something fun. And that was... That was cool. But, you know, you stop and think about it. You and I, it wasn't just the bosses that that, that were, were angry at us. There was also the capital J journalists. Who, oh, God, yeah. You know, There's just, they'd show up out of college. They were so smart. They knew everything. Everything was, um, everything was deadly seriousness. Like, no, this is tax increment financing. Do that story in 15 seconds and get on with it. And they'd come up with two minutes and we'd be like, oh, God. And I really felt like you had to be, there had to be somebody in there saying, don't go, don't go, don't go, stay, stay. Hey, look, here, look at this. This story's interesting. Before you leave, give us a chance on this one. And then you would keep people. I mean, I worked with people who couldn't stop a channel changer with a harpoon. It's just, they were so dull. Do you remember at the 11 o'clock news, we had that thing called the loser block? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I forgot about that. You knew that nobody was ever going to watch that. Well, what happened was at that time, the newscast went from 11 to 1137 and the consultants came to town and you and I had fun. But I say there was no we were very scientific about if you told us something, we were going to keep it in mind. And so what the consultant said is, OK, you start at 11. You're going to lose 50 percent of your audience at 1115. You're going to lose 70% of that audience by 11.30. So naturally, if you had most of your viewers right up here, you had to front load that show. But then there would be the stories that we had to run. And you have trains? Cool. Um, we'd have these stories that you had to run because the it was, it was the Eugene Ballet has a guest artist all the way from Spokane. And you're thinking, okay, look. Are they good at ballet in Spokane? Is it really that good of a story? Is this going to make anybody go see the ballet because some famous guy from the Spokane ballet? And it's like, no, but the owner, or excuse me, it'd probably be the news director knew Tony Pimble or whatever. So you take a story like that and we dump it into the loser block. And the reason for that was that by that time in the newscast, nobody was watching. Now we had to be careful because people began to realize what it was and we would have we'd have reporters say hey yeah so i see my stories in the uh, the loser block <laughs> i remember that one that one lady kirby um oh the one that was the producer the sweetest girl i wish i could remember her name um julie lopez oh yeah i she, ran into her yeah, yeah. Her husband yeah 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 she did a report and she decided she wanted to get a reporting tape up. And she just comes in there. You know, it's by, by nine o'clock, he had the rundown. She goes, my story's in the loser block. <laughs> but believe me, you and I would put our stories in the loser block if that's where they belong. 
Right. Um, but we were scientific about it. And the other thing that we were, I was thinking about this before the interview, we were the inst not only in the institutional memory, but we were the watchdogs for the entirety of the future of that station. Right. Because you remember we had one uh, news director. I'm going to tell you this story. This one's awesome. But we had a news director who was, I'll just call her the meanest woman on earth. I won't. Oh, use yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Don't have to say a name. I knew that one. She that was, was just as mean as a boil as my mom. Said, oh gosh! Remember she, this? She said, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, <laughs> and and then she'd oh, and that the door oh. would open, and you and there was fire that would come in first, and you go. I think that's the breath of Satan that she just was slept with tonight. <laughs> Thank God, though, she was bad at being mean. She was mean to the chambers too. And yeah. since the family knew that, she didn't have much ammunition against us. But she, she decided one day that it would be a good idea to do a story where we put a reporter in an unmarked van and we see if that reporter can lure children in to show how easy it would be to lure children into a van. And I, I know where she was going. But this one reporter, and you know him, he married. He's a wonderful guy. She's a wonderful woman. They got married. They're up in the Seattle area. And I heard what was happening. And I, and I said, I won't use his name. I, I said, but look, I don't mean to interrupt you. You can't do this. And the reason you can't do it is you'll do this story and I'm sure you'll do a great job. But 80% of the people are going to know what you did. 10% are going to be a little confused, like what had just happened? But about 10% are going to think you actually lured children in. And, and I told them, you could go. You, if you live in this town for 20 years, I promise there will be certain people who actually think you're a, you're, you're a pedophile. They will believe that. <clears throat> he goes, you're right. I can't do it. And so he did not do it. But you see, what we had was those people could have a scorched earth policy and leave. They could F things up for all of us. We would have to go back into the community and try to patch it up. Meanwhile, they're down in Las Vegas right. starting a whole new career, having scorched the earth where we are. And then we even had some reporters that were that way who um, they didn't work hard until they saw a story that they thought could win that, that they would look good on the resume tape. Right. And then they threw everything into it and they were very unethical. They were fast and loose with the facts. And you could you could say, hey, I don't think that was all accurate, but they didn't really care. So we had to be the people that were always there. And when everything was looking awful, or was about to look awful. We had to be the people who said, no, we're not going to do it. Right. Because don't you think, Al, I think, I think that's what's kind of missing. And I'm not picking on anyone in particular, but I'm just saying, I don't think there's the institutional knowledge of the community nor the care about what happens where we really were. You you own lots of homes and properties in this. We community. weren't leaving. We were we were here. And yeah. it was like, you're going to, you're, you're, you know, you were a watchdog for this. And you and I did tons more than anybody else of public speaking events or right. Right. things. So we were the face of KEZI when you went out there. So when that face was muddy, you you weren't going to let that happen because it was us. You know what we, I mean? We, we, we were going to have to fight it once we got out into the community. But we were also going to be the guys who a year later, I wonder why they're not returning my calls. What, what's going on? You know, and we had to make sure that all that stuff got taken care of. And we also had to, sometimes it was out of our control because it may have happened in a midday show that we had nothing to do with. And so we had to attack it that way. And also though, one thing that I was aware of, you can come out of your, your schools or whatever and say, you know, we're just gonna, 
so what if we burn bridges? We're journalists. We're this. We're that. You and I were the people there that were saying um, we need to choose our battles. We're not just going to burn a bridge here unless you, you know, if you've got some great yeah. journalism there. But we've got to be careful about this. And right. so we were the ones out there trying to fight for it. But again, and there was some damage. I remember during the the Thurston High School, the Thurston Thurston shooting. God, I. Do you remember all the national media that showed up? I thought national media, they're going to triple check. They're going to double check. They're going to have editors. They just told lies. They were just. They I remember were, they snuck into hospital rooms. They snuck into. They were carrying room. stuffed animals. Yeah. That yeah. one lady carried a stuffed animal saying that she was related to somebody. And then who was it? Was it the lady that worked for Sacred Heart, or excuse me, went to work for Mackenzie Willamette? Uh, Rosie Pryor. Rose, Rose, Rosemary Pryor was like, hold it. I mean, they took, but the, the, the point is that even that we had to work but off. Do, but do you remember that with, with, I remember with Thurston though, towards, as it kept going on, we, we started becoming the, the local media became the heroes because we were not doing that. Exactly. And it became exactly. one of these things where it really did define that. As as we were the people who were were staying, were being true to the story and really making sure people were, you know, doing. And I, and Eve, I really thought the higher you go, the more layers of checking you have to do. No, not. You know, I remember saying that you know we're out there. It was the day of the the incident, and I remember somebody asking me. I think it was Lisa because she was at the stadium, the station, and I was out there with you. And I remember her turning and asking me. She goes, "So what's this like?" And I said, "You know, for for some of these journalists, this is like a dream." I said, there's the big story, you know, students stand all the Yeah. And I said, and then for the rest of us, we're doing that. Well, you know what I found out like weeks later is ABC News, they took that and college campuses were using that video to call me a sleazy journalist. And look what journalists do. Took it and twisted it around. Like, look, he's saying this is like this great story. And this is I was talking about them. Right. Wow. And I remember Scott Chambers calling me up in his office with the news director and saying, don't tell anybody in the station. We don't want other people to know. But this is what people are saying about you around the country. And you need to understand this, that we don't agree with them. We know how you did it. But if this comes back, we're going um, legally. They were going in and trying to get those tapes and they got everything out. But isn't that scary? Um, well, and you know what, what else is scary is people don't know this. And you and I only know these people. We worked with people who hated television news. We worked with people who just, we worked with a reporter who for 20 years, um, well, let's say 10 years, bragged that she didn't have a TV. We had a news director who just really didn't like TV news. They, they, they were almost on the other side and were just trying to kind of water down what we did at times. And whereas you and I loved it. I, yeah. I never. I enjoyed every minute of it. I enjoyed the give and take. I enjoyed the screw ups. That's why I was so big on bloopers. Yeah. Is I, I, you know, there are plenty of people. Believe me, if they could find a way to record all newscasts in advance, they would. I didn't want that because, first of all, good doing going doing live, mixing your stuff live, would um, it added an intensity to it. Right. It added a danger to it. You were on a tightrope where you could fall off one way or the next. And how you could judge uh, us was based on how are we going to do with it. 
Now the bosses hate it because I, I had a great time. I oh yeah, time. but you you and I were like loose cannons. That when I got live, <clears throat> and that's why I love what I'm doing today. Is because this is somebody saw this when live Facebook and, and YouTube came out. Somebody goes, Rick, you got to try this, and I jumped right on it because it was like when I did live shots. Um, oh, I almost said her name, but nobody had control of me. They'd yeah. be in here right. and they'd be going, "Okay, you got to do this, you got to do that," and I just and I just do what I was going to do. And you know what? What I loved about it is it always worked, and they always had to shut up because it did work. And you just went with what you could. And that's why I think live for you and me was so fun. They couldn't control us. We know it was also fun. They couldn't control you on the set. Any, either. No, I, and, and you know, and the funny thing is part of that was, part of that was just, I'm a little obnoxious. The other part of it is, I really think we're too, we're too serious. I mean, right. you could drone everything into the ground. You could, you could beat it with a hammer until there's nothing left. Um, but, you know, I have to say we did have fun. One of the great things that we had that they don't have now are these great photographers. I can't oh. tell you how many times I'd be out with like Rob Woodward and I'd say, Rob, I know we're supposed to do this and this, but I think there's really something really interesting. If you can just get some really good video, I think we can make something really interesting. And he just go, okay, sure. Yeah. And those guys were amazing. They were amazing. Yeah. Rob Skid. Bill Getz. You yeah. have uh, Kurt Richter. They're all world-class photographers. All and they and what I loved about working with the photographers, you'd go to write your story and you'd put it together, you'd voice it, and then you'd hand it to them, and then you'd watch it on the news and you'd go, Oh my God, they made it so much better. Oh god. You know, like you'd go, you know, especially like Getz. You know, he'd put yeah, in, yeah. You know, he'd put in a, a, an opera and you know yeah. and other things, but you'd have this thing and you'd go, how how did I I get to be a part of that? It was really that was really fun, and that's the thing I think they have lost because now you have reporters or just the photographer running out grabbing a soundbite saying, "What did you think? Tell me what you want me to know," and which isn't journalism. And then they do it and they run back, they slap it together, and you don't have any storytelling. So it's right. not really story. They may not have any talent. They may be a good writer, but if you can't get the good video, your writing is is good. I, I don't know if you ever noticed this. You won more writing awards than I did, but it's either you or it was me, and one other guy slipped in once and won. But it's either you and it was or, or me. <clears throat> and one thing I always told people, I said, um, you don't realize this, and it doesn't make any sense unless you have experienced it, but you can't get an award-winning script written unless you have great video to write to. Right. Your words without video were meaningless. And so yeah. there's Sid Bates who won like four years in a row. And Sid could be a rough guy to work with because he could be a grumbly guy. But I can't tell you how many times he'd be just in a terrible, terrible mood. And then all of a sudden he would see this video and he would stop in mid-sentence in a driving rainstorm, go open the rig, get the camera out, shoot some beautiful piece of video and then um, Rob Woodward the reason Rob Rob could get everything on one take that took everybody else three but the reason was Rob started back in the film days when you used yeah. to have to edit with a razor blade and tape and so he learned to edit in camera because if he could do a wide shot to the medium shot to the close-up in camera then he didn't have to do it with that oh no it's brilliant they were wonderful I remember, yeah. I remember Kurt Richter I used to work with him a lot he was brilliant yeah. Richter would come up and he just knew when the question was coming up to be there. He'd be over shooting some video and yeah, he'd, yeah. he'd be talking and then he'd come over like this and he'd come in and then he'd zoom in and that would always be 
the soundbite I was looking for. You didn't have to go. There were some photographers you'd work with and you go, but by the time you did that, you lost it because people, oh, right. oh, then they're stopping in mid sentence. The moment is coming and we can't recreate the moment where you get, you know, another one, Chris, Chris Nolan. Yeah. Chris, he was great. Chris was brilliant. Didn't stay here very long. No well, That was, I was amazed at the ones that did stay as long as they did, but my gosh, I do remember handing, apologizing, handing somebody a script and my voice saying, I'm sorry, I don't, I wasn't on today. It wasn't a great story, but I'm not going to blame the story. I just, I'm sorry. So put it on the air and it was like, wow, you know, great. I mean, they saved our butts. Yeah. So what, what do you miss about the business? You know what I miss mostly? I I will say as much as I um, was nervous when new people came aboard because you never knew who you were going to get. I miss number one, though, working with the really young people because all of a sudden, I mean, there are things going on right now that you and I don't know about because we're not working with a bunch of 20 something. Right. Some 20 something would come in and they'd be talking about some artists, some musician, or they come in with a saying. I mean, I remember one lady came in and said, uh, an athlete, and she goes, Yeah, that gal's a hoe. And I'm like, No idea, what that <laughs> no idea what that meant. And so, but you know, if you're a reporter, you ask them questions. I go, Listen, what does that mean? She goes, Oh, I guess you'd say that girl's a whore. Oh, okay. But there was all that. The other thing was these intensely interesting personalities. I got to tell a core Harlan story. Oh, I just talked to him like a year ago. Oh, that's fine. And core is core. core Yeah, yeah, yeah. But tell us. Core was a scoundrel. Core was was just, he wasn't a dishonest guy, but he was one of these guys that could get things done. And he was maybe a little ruthless, but he got, he was a very fine reporter. And I remember one time I'm sitting at the old Coconut Joe's on top of the Hilton. Dino Francois and I are up there having a beer. For some reason, we're not really into it, but it's Friday night. We're tired. We're going to have a beer. We're going to go home. Cor walks over. Cor had a, a voice that was a combination of oh, yeah. E.T. Robinson and um, Mr. Haney. Hey <laughs> there, Al. Hey there, Dino. It's like, we well, didn't know him very well. It's like, oh, hey, hey, Cor, how are you? He says, yeah, see that girl over there? We go, yeah, yeah. She says, I'm on a date with her, man. And as soon as she turns her back, I'm bolting out of here. And we couldn't quite hear what he said. I'm like, did he just say, and all of a sudden he's gone, right? And this lady is at a table with two other people in cowboy gear. And I can see why Cor left. He was not a cowboy. So she's wait, looking at the table, waiting for her date to come back. And as time's going by, she's getting a little more serious. She's getting pretty angry. Pretty soon, the whole table is staring at us because what he had done is come to stand by us because we were, we were his buds. He came to stand by us because we were at the table by the door. Dino and I, I mean, we're going to write out that bad date. We may not have another, but Cor just bailed on him. And this lady and these people are getting mad. And I said, like, Dino, I, I just want to kill this. Let's get out of here. So we killed our beers. We bolted out. And then there was that John Goulet guy. Oh, God, yes. He was, he was an L.A. guy in every sense, but he... He was, you might call him a womanizer, but it was just his style. He just knew a million women. And I guess since we don't, we're not working anymore, I'll just tell you. So one time we had this photographer, John uh, Shelley. 
And uh, John goes, I fucking hate working with that guy. I go, why? Well, every block we drive by, he, he points at a house. He goes, yeah, see that house over there, John? Yeah. Yeah, I bagged a chick there last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Over there, too. Yeah, let me tell you. But but here's the crazy thing. Um, he was, all I can tell you is my dog, Sylvia, liked people. But we were at some big barbecue down at Armitage Park, and John was there. Probably 100 people there. And Sylvia just saw him, walked right on over, sat on his feet, didn't want to leave him the entire night. So I'm kind of like, you know, John, I like you. I've always liked you. He's a fine surfer and a great skier. Um, but if my dog loves you, that's all I need to know. Same right. thing with life. She goes, if, if Sylvia loves him, then I, you don't, don't talk that guy down to me because, you know, I figure the dog's do. But he was, he was not a mean guy. It's just that he was from that old L.A. thing. that is. He'd he say things that you go, you don't really, you know, he would talk about how he would manscape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you go, and this is back when nobody really was talking about manscaping. And he goes, "Yeah, I, I shaved my balls." Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Well, good. I can say about this I, one. I mean, in a in a conversation, and you're like, "Did you just say that you shaved your ball?" I mean, I is this really? He goes, "Yeah, it's called manscaping." And I went, "Oh, well, okay. see, that's the whole thing because that's another world that came into our life." And then I remember one time, um, oh God, what was it that he was? What he was doing, I forgot it. But he, um, he was just, oh, he was just a guy. Oh, I remember. It's along that same lines. So here he is in liberal Eugene, and he's from Southern California, which is all plastic surgery, manscaping, womanscaping. Um, <laughs> if your boobs aren't quite big enough, you're going to get them bigger. If your butt isn't what you want, you're going to you're going to get all this. So he met this one girl. He goes, yeah. Man, what a bad night. You really would have. Well, I met this chick uh, down in uh, at this one bar, and uh, yeah, we went home, and uh, she took off her clothes, and she said that lady was like a bear. <laughs> and he was like, now we were aware that that happened here, but he wasn't. And so, just to be crude, he goes, didn't know what to do, so I, I took one for the team. <laughs> just yeah. Went. Yeah, he was like, yeah, and it was so funny because he was so innocent about. He was not. He was kind of sleazy, but in, in an innocent, like a little kid way. Only you by our standards, I think where he was from, he was right. probably. So, Al, what what don't you miss about being on television? Well, okay, so toward the end, and the reason I, one of the main reasons I got out is I I had to sign another um, contract with Sinclair. Sinclair is an awful outfit. They, they really are. I can say that. Um, I don't have any friends working up there anymore. But they you used to have to run their stories. When we got into this, you remember, how many times did you do a story where it's like, politically, I disagree with this guy. But since I do disagree with this guy, I'm going to work so hard not to show a bias. Yep, that's what she's It looks like I've shown a bias. It's going to be for them. I right. remember uh, I once got sent out on a story covering a... Uh, not a fortune teller, but a, somebody that sees the future, whatever you call that. And the news director wanted me to laugh at her and say that, uh, you know, a psychic, a psychic. Crazy thing, I was working with Bill Getz. I showed her all the respect because I couldn't say that she was wrong. She was making predictions, right? Crazy thing was about six months later, Bill said, comes up to me and goes, oh, remember that story we did with the psychic? He goes, it all happened. All of it happened almost 
specifically. Really? They said. So it was, that was interesting. The other thing that I do miss too is, and it's something this world needs more of, is we would get thrown into worlds we didn't know anything about. And we would go in not with no knowledge, with our hands empty, thinking we might hate it. And then all of a sudden we realize you're a good guy. Um, we completely disagree. Remember there was the guy that when Dave Frommeyer ran against Barbara Roberts. Yep. They brought a guy named Al somebody. Al Mobley. Mobley, that was him. Okay, so I'm thinking, boy, this guy is far right of right, and he is so, I mean, he's just, I, I just don't know what I'm going to get out of this guy. I think it's going to be kind of, but you know what I liked about Mobley is all of these beliefs that he had, that he brought to the table, he sincerely believed. Right. He wasn't faking it in order to win votes. <clears throat> right. This stuff, and I could say, so you have a problem with um, rock and roll lyrics. He says, yeah, well, you know, I just think it really hurts kids. And I think it's just bad for America. But he wasn't just saying that like maybe a Ted Cruz or somebody on the left. He really meant it. And it was like, and I said to Doug, I said, you know, Doug, that was interesting because for once I interviewed a politician who said exactly what he felt. Right. Did you hate it when you'd be interviewing somebody and, and the, the current governor, Kate Brown, is the worst? Yeah. Um, you ask her a question that might have some little difficulty getting out of, and she'll completely change the subject, answer some completely different question, and the politeness of reporters in general usually allowed that to happen. Yeah. And it was hard to say, I'm sorry, governor, and somebody did this recently, but <clears throat> that's not, you answered a question I didn't ask. Right. And then you'd force them back into the saddle and they would realize that didn't work but they did that a lot the other thing that i do that's what we used to do though because you remember i mean i remember interviewing bob packwood ron wyden all of them and you'd push and they'd get their stump speech but if you were good at what you did you kept asking until you had some information that they they get off their game you know what i mean and you yeah. had to be pushing but today I don't see a whole lot of pushing. I feel like a lot of people, it's almost like news has become public relations, not really news. You know they what I mean? Don't have, I don't think they understand. They don't understand mission. They don't understand how much they can say. They don't understand media law. Um, I, you know, I learned something. I learned a lot from you. And I, and I have to apologize if I didn't say it so at the time. But I, you, you had a way of getting people to give a good interview by doing something that ended up being brilliant, they would be spewing all the memorized stuff. Boom, 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 boom. Trying to stay on this subject. And then you would ask, um, but how does it make you feel? And then all of a sudden, all the crap that they'd written down on a piece of paper to repeat over and over again, they couldn't. They all of a sudden would have to stop and say, how do I feel? And then you could get to the heart of the matter because then even the most hardcore slick PR person would have to say, well, personally, since I have kids, I really want to see them back in school. And I really wish that they would pass this bond measure, but that's not my role. But then you see what you had done is you had broken through the brick veneer and then they became real. And I don't know if you ever did this, but I remember interviewing people who were so nervous when they got on camera, and this was cheating. And they never got mad at me, though. I would just 
say, Rob, um, I'm not going to let them know we're interviewing. Yeah. I'm let them know we're interviewing after we've shot it. And then I will ask them for permission. But what you had was just a normal person giving you a wonderful human sound bite. But the new, minute they knew the camera came on, their eyes got big, they got stiff, they give you bad sound bites like I would be giving you. But you just let them go. And then sometimes you'd be like, we're all done. You just said it. I didn't tell you we were rolling the camera. Are you okay with how you said it? And they'd say, did I sound good? I said, you sounded great. And I mean that. Yeah. The, the other thing that we did not do, we never burned bridges. We were always honest with people. We were always, this is what's going to happen. This is what we are doing. And if anybody ever said, like, I can't trust you guys, I could literally say, I don't burn anybody. Right. I will get in trouble, but I will not burn you. And, uh, and that was sometimes hard to bring home. You know, so here, I used to do the same thing as I, I tell my photographer, I just tap them. They'd start the camera rolling and then we'd start going And about two, like a minute or two into the interview, the person I've been with, used to go, they see the light, the little red light on the camera. And they go, are, are we rolling? And I said, Oh yeah, we have been. So anyway, and just go on <laughs> and then just keep going. Cause you knew that if you, if you start off, okay, you ready to do the interview, then they're always going to come in well in their professional voice instead yeah. of just a person. And so instead now, of saying it made me angry, well, we were exacerbated by the uh, proclivities of, it's like, no, just, yeah, yeah. just do, so, do the Mark Twain thing, talk in plain English, yeah. So Al, last thing, because I have to make this under an hour, I can't get it on Instagram. <laughs> that's a, that's a, you. It's a, challenge. It's a challenge. Um, I just want to thank you because I remember you stuck up for me so many times in the newsroom and when things would go on, Al Peterson would always go, um, you know what? The hardest working guy in here is Rick Dancer because he not only anchors two shows a night, but he's doing two or three stories every single day. He can get away with doing nothing, but he's working his ass off. Nobody was going to make you work hard. They were going to keep you there, but you didn't let, you didn't let that stop you. Yeah. Right. And it, and I always appreciated you doing that because you'd come to bat at a meeting when something was going on or some some jealous reporter who wanted my job would go, Rick's not doing enough or Rick, Rick doesn't do this. And Al would always stand up and go, listen, Rick Dancer, he and, and half of the other people that we worked with would do, do in the same position, didn't do half what we did. And you and I both worked hard, but you I, it's not about me. And you. I just want to thank you because that did mean a lot. I always remember. Well, you that. know, it's funny. I don't remember that. But the cool thing is I, I know I learn more about people when they don't think anybody's watching. Right. And the same with you. And I and, and I love the way you work the phone. But I, and I love the way that you can get interviews with people nobody else would interview. But um, we were lucky. We yeah. were in the golden age, bud. We had yeah. the golden age. We, we, we got to go to, to, to Russia. I got to go to Louisville. You got to go to Central America, didn't you? Yeah, Carolyn Chambers was an uh, and um, and also to uh, Romania. I mean, the Chambers were magnificent human beings, and I'm sorry that three of them are yeah. gone now. Yeah, but I'll say this to um, oh Silva, Silva, you had a great family. You had a you have a great family, and I was so proud to work for them. Even though I got fired, I don't. Yeah. I was quite proud to work for them. Yeah, Very proud. yeah. We 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 had a fun occupation, and and we're still healthy, and we came out the other side. Uh, you know, without having to do marketing for the nuclear energy industry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I, so far I haven't had to put on a Walmart vest, so I'm hoping that doesn't come up either. But oh, Al, Al, thank you so much for coming on and joining us and with our audience and people. And I knew they'd enjoy you, and it, I, I hope you had fun. That was well, uh, I had a fun time, and anytime you want to do it again, we should. 
Okay. Because there's so much more to say, but I feel like we were here at the right time for the industry and for the community. I really think so. Yeah, I agree. Al Peterson, thank you very much. Thanks, Ben. Uh, see you, buddy. So there you go. Al Peterson back from the days of, uh, he worked at KMTR, KECI, and KVAL. And uh, you guys all remember him, uh, his uh, fun weather forecast, making it interesting, um, which you don't see a lot of out there today. Um, you guys are saying great show. I'm glad to have it. Al, if you are on Facebook, you can see all the comments people are making. There's a whole bunch of people saying stuff. You can go in there and comment back to them if you want to. It's kind of up to you. Uh, you guys, I'm going to wrap this up so I can get it on Instagram tomorrow because um, I want people to see Al. Um, again, we want to thank Chris Dental and Michael Bratman uh, for coming up with this idea. If you're looking for a vet, uh, a uh, dentist who doesn't care about your vac status, he just cares about you getting good dental care, uh, you need to check him out. Um, he's way into dental work. He's way into safety protocol. And he's also very much into your civil rights as an American. I'm Rick Dancer. Thanks for being with us tomorrow night. We're going to have a group on that's called Truthzilla. And they're going to challenge you. Uh, they're going to make some people mad. But they are going to have some fun. A new podcast in town. We'll see.